It's just that you got no other thing. Mike is out of town, so the gloves are coming off. <laughs> you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Yep, I used to say that all the time. You get what you get and you don't throw Anyway, welcome. I'm glad you're all here. Uh, I love how the Lord works. Um, Audrey was praying that prayer at the end and just her closing words, just we want to go out and we want to make you known. And I don't think she knew what we'd be talking about today, but that is my prayer that, yeah, we want to go out and make him known. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful that today's message is going to help encourage us to do that. So I want you to just take a moment to answer in your mind this question. What is a disciple? You don't have to answer out loud and not even the context of the church necessarily. Just think in broad terms, what is a disciple. Just I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. Come with, come up with some descriptors. Come up with some, maybe a definition. Whatever. Just what is a disciple? Play along, please. please. I can't tell what's going on here, you know. But just, just it's going to come into play. I think. Yeah. I, I don't see your thoughts, thankfully, and thankfully you don't see mine. Um, but I'm just going to assume that you're playing along with me. I would say just. Again, talking in broad terms, not necessarily in this context, that being a disciple is being a follower of a person or a way of thinking, but being a follower of a person in which you meaningfully model your own life, your traits, your attributes and beliefs after another. You model your life after somebody else, specifically their traits, their beliefs, their attributes. You believe what they believe. And you teach what they teach. I was looking up the dictionary definition, and I actually was encouraged by that because Webster says, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. That's how they define disciple. And I really appreciate that definition because I think it leans into the parts of being a disciple of Jesus that help us fulfill the Great Commission. Okay, now let's put it in the context of the Christian walk, our faith. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? Again, come up with that working definition, description in your own mind. What is a disciple of Jesus? What does, what does it look like? What do they do? What do they prioritize? Can you get it into like a sentence? And if you're a note taker or you've got some way to, to, to document this, I would encourage you to write down your definition because this is going to come into play at the end of the message. What is a disciple of Jesus in your mind right now where you stand in your faith journey? This is important. And if you're not a writer and you got a really good memory, just hold on to it right here. The reason I want you to write it down is because I don't want anything that I say to influence what it is you're actually thinking right now. Because we're going to compare and contrast at the end. I'm just kind of telling you where we're going on this. This can be a complex matter. It doesn't have to be, but it often is when we start talking about discipleship. Some of you are still writing, so I'm going to give it a second because I really want you to be there. The reason I think this is such a complex issue is because there are 
no, there's no short, shortness, the word I'm looking for, no shortage of definitions of disciple. You ask a hundred people, you're probably going to get a hundred different definitions or description of what a disciple of Jesus is. That's why we're asking ourselves the question this morning for you, what is a disciple? Because the reality is, and this is the importance of why you're writing down what you're writing down, your definition and your experience is going to drive and influence what you do as a disciple. What you think a disciple of Jesus is is supposed to do is what you're going to do. So whether you've thought about it deeply or not, you have a, a sort of this structure or construct in your mind that, okay, this is a disciple of Jesus. This is what I do. But if it doesn't line up with the scriptures or what Jesus is asking us to do, then we're, we're in a bit of a weird place where we think we're going down this path. And yet there may be some discrepancies along our journey. <clears throat> This is, in my mind, one of the most important topics we've talked about so far. So we've been going through this series, The Language of Faith, where we take words and phrases from the Christian walk that we sometimes assume we know what we're talking about, or we assume that others know what they're talking about, and we kind of unpack it. And so for us, having a good understanding of what a disciple of Jesus is, is critical in the life of a believer. And I'm not looking for like a full comprehensive definition necessarily. I want to take the big chunks, unpack them, and maybe reframe our understanding or our application of disciple making. In order to do that, I'm going to ask for the Lord's help in prayer, and then we'll continue on. So would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, I thank you for just another day of life. I'm grateful for the way in which you love us, that you are a good, good father, that you provide everything that we need. God, and that you, as we come to you boldly in prayer, you actually say that you're able to do far exceedingly and abundantly more than we even ask. And so we ask for your help this morning. We ask that you'd give us the ability to hear the spirit of God moving in our lives I would say even, Lord, to permeate and penetrate, if necessary, some of the ways of thinking about making disciples that are not bearing the kind of fruit, Lord, that maybe you would want. Or in other cases, maybe it's bolstering and raising up the ideas that are rooted in us and that we would lean into those even more. Wherever we are on that spectrum, Lord, of making disciples and our understanding of that, would you just help us? As we walk through that this morning, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have questions this morning, you can text them to that number on the screen. And I'll come up here at the end and we'll sort of go back and forth on some of those questions that you might have. It's just a way that we love to interact with you guys, so please, please feel free to do that. So you're thinking, okay, disciple. I mean, where do you start right there? It's like a... Tons of layers to disciple. Following, learning, demonstrating. I mean, you could go on and on and on. But let's just start with the, one of the primary aspects of being a disciple of Jesus. And that is following his example. Would you agree that one of the primary <laughs> descriptors of being a disciple is following his example? Yes. Good. Amen. Thank you, Brian. 
I mentioned earlier the idea that a disciple is meaningfully modeling our own lives after the traits, attributes, and beliefs of another. So do you remember when Jesus was early in his ministry and he was engaging some young fishermen and tax collectors and he was inviting them to become his disciples? He used two words to do that. Do you remember what those two words are? What is it? Mark 2.14. Only two words in quotations right there, right? What are they? Follow me. Follow me. Do you think Jesus had something in mind other than just like following behind him to where he was going for the night? Yes. Right? It wasn't like he was giving directions to his house. Like, yeah, just follow me. No, he had something far greater in mind. He meant that these people would follow him by listening to his teaching, understanding it, and obeying it. Jesus himself was the perfect example in all that he did. So we need to ask ourselves, if we're disciples of Jesus, what about his life is it that we're modeling and following in our own lives? In short, we learn from him to live like him. Now I'm going to tip my hand here a little bit, and I kind of already started doing that. Because my true aim is to get us talking about disciple-making. Disciple-making. But we cannot reproduce what we ourselves don't fully understand. So we need to be confident that we know what a disciple is in order to reproduce that. So what is it? Now think big picture here. Broadly speaking, what did Jesus spend a vast majority of his three years of earthly ministry doing? Think big picture. He did a lot of things, but what was was he doing over that three-year period? He was raising up. He was raising up disciples. Along the way, he was teaching and healing and modeling and showing them what it looked like. He, yeah, he, he did all of those things. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we learn a ton about Jesus. We learn a lot about who he is, the miracles he did, the way that he lived. But all of that was done in the process of doing two things, raising up disciples and preparing them for his departure. Why? That they might become disciple makers and build the church here on earth. Now, some of you are thinking, like, wait a minute, there's a bigger reason why Jesus was here. <laughs> and encompassed in that is the larger redemption story of Jesus coming to earth. Absolutely. By, by means of which humanity is able to be redeemed and reconciled back to God the Father. There is no more important truth than understanding that, the, the gospel of why Jesus came. This is the hope that we have in Christ, that if we repent and believe our sins are actually forgiven we've been adopted as daughters and sons into his family but for what purpose to glorify him yes and to live lives pleasing to him but what would you say is one of the most significant ways that we can live a life that's pleasing to god through our what Did you look at my notes already? You just, you just know, my, you know my thinking. You already know. It's through our doing. Through our obedience is the word that she used. Not me. She used it. I would have used it if you did it. But 
Now, I understand that obedience has a negative connotation in today's world. It just does. But let's think about obedience from a biblical perspective. It's an act of love, it's an act of joy, and it's an act of faith. Is there anything inherently negative about love, joy, and faith that you can think of? No, so it's this cultural influence that has caused obedience to become this negative kind of thing. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. When Jesus was given the task of the cross by his father, he set out with joy to accomplish that task. There was joy in his obedience. All throughout the Bible, we see acts of faith as demonstrations of obedience. Think about Abraham. Remember Abraham way, way, way back in Genesis? Right? He was, he was doing just fine. He had big family, lots of things, land. It was fine. He could just live the rest of his life there. God comes along and goes, hey, I want you to go over there to the land that I will show you. Didn't even tell him where he was going. Just that I've got a plan for you. Go that way. And what does Abraham do? Picks up and goes. Because God said so. It's an act of obedience through faith, trusting that God's got a plan, right? Think about Moses, right? Moses wasn't equipped or prepared in his own mind to lead the people of God out of Israel, was he? Or out of Egypt? No, but here he is, toe-to-toe with the great pharaoh of Egypt, leading the people, even though he himself didn't think he was qualified. I can't do that. But what did he do? He did it anyway, in obedience as an act of faith. So I would use one word to summarize being a disciple of Jesus, and it would be obedience. I realize for some people that's a strange word to use. And some people may even struggle to wrap their head around it. And I think part of the reason why is because people take that idea of obedience down the wrong path, and it just becomes about the doing and legalistic in, in, in mindset. So this is the mentality that the Christian life is just a series of tasks to accomplish and boxes to check. And if we do these things, then we're okay. Because our confidence is in the doing of the law and the law itself rather than the lawgiver. That's legalism. It's, it's finding comfort and joy and satisfaction and, and fulfillment in the doing. It's if I just do these things, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. There doesn't need to be a relationship. There doesn't need to be really any transformation in my heart if I just do it this exact way. That's what I think people sometimes think when they hear obedience. Just do, 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 do. But it's in following his example. And it's about following his commands with freedom and with joy. When he was asked about the commandments, what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Come on, give it to me. What is it? Right. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. Yes? Would you agree? That's good because it's in the Bible. And it's not a burden to do 
the things that he has called us to do. In fact, if you tie all of this together that we've been talking about so far, I think you get a clear picture of what I'm trying to say here. Let's look at 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. There's some pretty clear language there, some pretty clear principles that are being laid out for us. We demonstrate our love for others and our love through God by our doing of his word, of obedience. And and it's not a burden in doing them. So so where am I going in all of this? Um, That's maybe what you're asking yourself at this point. I, I think... I think I made a a case that as disciples, we're called to be obedient to the commands of Jesus and follow his example in our everyday lives. This is at the core of being a disciple of Jesus. And I think I made a, a case that a majority of what Jesus did during his ministry was make disciples, preparing them to lead the church, to go and make more disciples. And to top it off, the last thing, that Jesus told his disciples, and by extension, us, we see in Matthew 28. Let's look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Go, therefore, and what? Say it again. I think you're not enthusiastic about this at all. (laughs) That's okay, because it doesn't change the fact that this is the reality that we face as disciples of Jesus. Go and make disciples. So if we are to keep his commands and do what he did, what is one of the primary things we as followers of Jesus should be doing? Making disciples. Okay, now we can switch gears to disciple-making, as I mentioned I wanted to do earlier. So what does now disciple-making look like? I'm not going to ask you to get a full-on definition of this because we're going to work through that. But I want to start maybe by by saying what isn't disciple-making. If we just categorize individual things, what by itself is not disciple-making? I'll give you a few things. Going out on the street and giving a gospel presentation is not disciple-making. Teaching Christians about the Bible is not disciple-making. Living a life of purity and holiness that others might observe you and see your example and follow you is not disciple-making. Now, are these things good and right? Yes, but none of them alone are disciple-making. See, we're trying to perhaps unlearn and redefine what disciple-making is. Not according to tradition, not according to what we've always done, not even according to what pastors have told us over the years. How many of you come from a background or a church experience where the discipleship program in the church serves primarily to increase your knowledge about God and the Bible? Anybody? Discipleship program means you learn about God. You learn about Jesus. You go through these classes. 
You learn about prayer. You learn about God, his attributes. You learn, you learn about all of these things. And that is the primary function of discipleship in the church. Anybody come from that background? Okay, I would argue that most discipleship programs in the church today are knowledge-based discipleship. As long as you're learning more about God, you're being discipled and you're, you're, you're okay. And these things are good and valuable and necessary. Do not, let me give you a Johnism, don't hear what I don't say. Right? These things are good and necessary, but when we're talking about functionality, what is it that disciple-making is, we need to be clear about what we're giving ourselves to. These things, again, are good and valuable and necessary, but they alone are not discipleship. So as we're learning and growing in our faith, I think the piece missing most from the discipleship experience today is multiplication. Making other disciples. Paul captures the heart of this in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. This is Paul writing, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. Keep that in mind. So in this context, in this verse, how many generations of disciples do we have? Four. Who's the first one? Paul is the one that's writing. He's a disciple of Jesus. Who's the second one? Who's he writing to? Timothy. Who's the third set? The faithful men. Who's the fourth set? That will be able to teach others also. So do you see the generations of discipleship happening? It's not just a one and done. You've got this person in the kingdom of God. Now just let me pull you over into this little huddle. Let's talk about Jesus for the rest of our lives. That's not what we see here. We introduce the DNA of multiplication from ground zero. Because spiritual reproduction is essential to building God's kingdom and fulfilling the great commission. Do you know what they do to animals that don't reproduce in the farm world? They eat them because they're useless. Their purpose is to reproduce, right? Okay, I'm not saying you're useless. Don't, don't, don't hear what I don't say, all right? But think about it. If our primary purpose is to reproduce spiritually and we're not doing that, maybe we need to reconsider our definition of a disciple, and disciple making. And this is what the early church did because it's what Jesus did with the 12 and with the 72. He sent them out looking for people to disciple into a relationship with Jesus. Let's look at an example. I told you I wanted to give a kind of a biblical framework for this. Um, this is Luke chapter 10. This is the, the sending the workers out. So workers, disciple maker, you might say those are similar words. Right before this, Jesus said to go out among the harvest that the laborers are what? Few, but the harvest is, man, it's plentiful. It's everywhere, but I don't have a lot of people going. And then he turns around and gives a description of the doers, the disciple makers, the workers. All right, let me read this. 
Luke 10, 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay. Now, there are some cultural differences. I get that from them to us. But I think there are a few principles that we can pull from this passage. Key ideas that apply in our lives as disciple makers. So, the first one is there in verse 2. Pray earnestly. When we're thinking about disciple making, the starting point is prayer, prayer, prayer. Praying for what? For workers, for laborers, for disciple makers. I would call those all the same thing. Praying for the lost around us. Praying for opportunities to befriend and interact with people. So prayer is the foundation of the work of disciple-making. We see that in verse 2. Verses 3 and 4, they give us a sense in which we should be going out, looking for people. And then there's this sense of high reliance upon the Lord providing all that we need. He tells them, hey, don't take any money. Don't take any food. Don't take any sandals. Don't make reservations at the Holiday Inn. Like, just don't take anything. In other words, trust me that as you're going, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to meet every need of yours. And so in our context, I would say this is applied in our everyday lives of being intentional by interacting with people around us in meaningful ways. Now, engaging people with other than just basic day-to-day -day conversation can be challenging. It can be scary, intimidating, awkward, uncomfortable. And in our obedience, God says, I see you. I understand what you're going through. But I also see your willing obedience and I am with you. I will give you everything you need as you're going and making disciples. Now, thankfully, we don't have to go into towns that we don't know with nothing on our backs and trust God for that. <laughs> But we do have the same kind of reliance that as we're going, he meets our needs and gives us even the words. But he gives us the opportunities. He gives us the courage, the strength, the stamina, the commitment, the boldness, all the things that we need to engage people meaningfully. In verses 4 through 8, we see that there's a certain type of person that we're looking for among the harvest field, a person who is open to hearing what we have to say. This is where I think there's some differences in what Jesus gives us in terms of reaching 
and making disciples. If you look in verses 4 through 8, he says, hey, go to this house, and if they receive you, stay with them, share with them, give and take, you know, right? What they give you, take. Preach the word to them. Someone who is welcome, welcoming, I should say, and eager to hear what you have to say. This is a little bit of a different approach in disciple-making than most people are used to. In fact, some people might begin to think what I'm, what I'm describing, they would label as evangelism. Is anybody thinking that? Like, you're kind of describing evangelism. You're telling me to go out, essentially, among lost people and maybe nominal Christians or people who are Christian in name only. You're telling me to go there and have spiritual conversations with them. That sounds a lot like evangelism to me. Maybe you're thinking that in your head. And I'd argue that they are two sides of the same coin. That you cannot have one without the other. If Jesus' great commission to us is to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples multiplication, then we need to move away from the idea that evangelism and discipleship are two different things. They're not. The problem is we've defined these two things to mean something that they were never originally intended to mean. And... Part of the problem is that these incomplete definitions have conditioned Christians to approach evangelism and discipleship with fear and hesitation. Because evangelism means going up to the street on a stranger and giving them a gospel presentation. But is it? Is that really what evangelism is? Maybe in your mind and the way that it's defined it is, and that freaks you out. And so you're like, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that. Does context matter? Can we still be like the early disciples? Are we all responsible for this? My simple answer is yes. It's a lifestyle. Being intentional where we are. It's leveraging all that we have for the sake of the gospel. It's not shoving the gospel down people's throats. It's finding the harvest that's all around us by intentionally engaging the loss to find spiritually interested people. It's what you might call dripping God into the conversations of our everyday lives. It's a lifestyle. God is after faithfulness, not fruitfulness. We are called to go out and make disciples through our regular lives, but God is the one that draws people near to himself, isn't he? Do you do that? Do you convert people? No, take yourself off the hook. You don't do that. Only God does that. And so success is not winning someone to Christ. That's amazing, and we celebrate that. But success is obedience in our everyday lives of making disciples. This church, Pillar Church of Oceanside, has a mandate from God. To do certain things in this school, in this community, and in the community of the military around us. Don't we? Like we have a mission to reach that base and this community. And that doesn't go away. That does not change. But discipleship, as I'm describing it, must become a lifestyle and not a program in the church. There's a big, big difference. All right, I'm hitting you with all kinds of stuff, and I totally understand that. 
But I want us to go back to that original definition, description that you came up with at the beginning regarding discipleship. Just take a look at it or recall it in your mind and ask yourself, has it changed? Does it look different? Are there maybe some parallels? There's some things that are the same and maybe some things that are a little bit different. Perhaps there's more questions in your mind than answers at this point. And I think that's good. I really do. Because what we're going to do is continue this conversation next week. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to give you some very practical and tangible ways that you can incorporate into your life where this idea of disciple-making becomes a lifestyle. It's just what we do. It's intentionality. There is no area of our lives, there's no relationship around us that is off-limits. If God wants to do something in you and through you with a neighbor or a coworker, a family member, and we're not intentionally leaning in and just constantly praying and seeking to make disciples, we, we miss opportunities. I really had to pray hard over this past week of how much to, to share and how much to push on this. I, I've been on a journey for the last year and a half, some of you know, and in terms of disciple-making and what that looks like, and, and seeing movements of God all around the world where tens of thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus and the church in America is dying. Churches are closing every single day. We're doing something wrong. We are, guys. I don't say we. Collectively, the church in America, we're not bearing the kind of fruit that we see in the scriptures Jesus bearing of making disciples who make disciples. His great commission going unfulfilled largely in this culture. So I've had to unlearn a lot about discipleship and even what church is. And I think a lot of us coming through the last year and a half through the pandemic, and especially if you've been with us for the last two years, you know it's been challenging and we've found ourselves in weird places and under trees and in parking lots and all over the place. And I think God used that to show us church is not a building. We don't need certain aspects or even certain ministries to function as a church. And in a lot of cases, those are actually a distraction from keeping us from spiritual multiplication. Because we think, and we've been taught, that if we, if we come to church regularly, if we serve, if we give, and if we don't make waves, then we're good. Hopefully you can hear my heart in this, and I, I, I don't want to push anybody away to go like, that's too much for me, I can't do that. We're all on this spectrum somewhere. Whether you're here at the beginning or you're way over here, it doesn't matter. What matters is that moving forward, we are going to put things into action to where we stand before God, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful attender of church. Not well done, good and faithful ministry leader. Well done, good and faithful servant for doing what I put you on this planet to do. 
to spread the love of Jesus Christ, to know him and make him known. That's my prayer. That's my hope for this church and for all believers around the world. And so come back next week, I hope. We can give you some more practical tools where you're like, man, I don't know what this looks like. I hope I can give you some things of what it will look like next week. But for now, let's pray and let's wrap up our time this morning. Well, gracious Lord, I, I do thank you and I do ask that your spirit be with us as we sit with this information that we've been given, Lord God, as we look back to the scriptures and we see in Luke 10 and we see in Matthew 10 and other places where laborers are being described as the Great Commission is given to us and as we look to your life, Jesus, I think there's more. I think there's more to what you have for us. And I want to be obedient, Lord God. I want to do what you've asked me to do. And I want to fulfill my role of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And yes, Lord, ministry happens in your church. I love your church. The bride of Christ is an amazing thing and we exercise our spiritual gifts here and we see people come to faith here and we do life together here. This is a beautiful thing. Lord, but this is not the end state. This is the means by which we are equipped to go and do the work you've called us to as disciple makers loving our neighbors as ourselves, serving the widows and orphans, meeting physical needs, Lord, that open the door to spiritual conversations and ultimately, Lord willing, lead to spiritual needs being met. God, you've got a plan and a purpose for your people and we don't want to miss it by having our heads in the sand. God, I just pray for every person here this morning. I pray for the hearts of your people to be encouraged this morning, not discouraged, not worried about the way things were or the things that we've done or the things that we haven't done. God, there's been so much good that you've done through Pillar Church of Oceanside. Lives have been changed, marriages have been restored. not about feeling guilty or thinking that somehow we've missed the mark completely. Lord, I, I pray nobody here feels that way or, or thinks that or hears that. I just think there's more, Lord. There's more to do in addition to things that we're already doing for your namesake. Well, I want to do it. Help us to do it collectively and encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. For your desire that you say in Habakkuk is to, for the glory of the Lord to fill the earth as the water covers the sea. That's all of it, your glory. That requires laborers. So, God, I just... Stop right there and just say, do what you will. Preparing our hearts and even for next week, Lord, and, and for really the rest of our lives.
Thank you for your help, your grace, your Holy Spirit that you've given to walk with us. Thank you. Praise you. In Jesus' name.